SAP bought a toxic vendor. Um, and what they did with that kind of rolled into the allegations in the Oracle complaint that we now know uh, subsequently resolved itself to a $1.3 billion judgment against SAP. This is Lawyer to Lawyer, the award-winning legal podcast with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. West Coast meets East Coast, and yes, they are attorneys, bringing you the latest legal news and observations every week with the leading experts in the legal profession. Produced right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen today. I'm Bob Ambrogi, coming to you from Rockport, Massachusetts. I write a blog called Law Sites, and also a blog called Media Law. I'd, of course, like to thank our sponsors, SunTrust, a company that offers private wealth management solutions for attorneys and law firms. You can find them at suntrust.com slash law. And also Clio, the web-based practice management application available at goclio.com. Recently, in an Oakland, California courtroom, a jury awarded Oracle Corporation a whopping $1.3 billion verdict against its competitor, SAP AG, a market and technology leader in business management software. The verdict was for damages due to copyright infringement by a now-defunct software maintenance unit of SAP called Tomorrow Now. Back in 2007, Oracle sued SAP, claiming that SAP's Tomorrow Now unit illegally downloaded Oracle software and documents to support Oracle's customers. SAP bought Tomorrow Now in 2005 and then closed it in 2008. After the verdict was handed down, SAP released a statement saying that it regretted the actions of Tomorrow Now, that it had accepted liability, and that it has been willing to fairly compensate Oracle all along. If this verdict is upheld, it will be one of the largest for an intellectual property case ever. So today on Lawyer to Lawyer, we're going to take a look at this complicated case that's uh, sweeping the legal community, copyright infringement and stolen intellectual property, as well as SAP's admitted liability, the significance of the $1.3 billion jury award, and the impact of the case on future cases. So to do so, uh, we have two guests joining us today. First of all is attorney Carol Smith from Hiring Smith LLP out of San Rafael, California. Carol has specialized in intellectual property law since 1981 and began her career at at several intellectual property law firms in San Francisco and in the Silicon Valley. Most recently, Carol was Special Intellectual Property Counsel at Dolby Laboratories in San Francisco, where she was responsible for strategic patent and technology licensing. In addition to her work in the, in the firm, Carol is president of the Women's Intellectual Property Association and is currently consulting for SanDisk. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Carol. Well, thank you very much. Our next guest is David Levitt. David is a partner at the firm Hinshaw & Culbertson LLP out of Chicago, Illinois. David Levitt's intellectual property practice has included litigation and licensing issues in the areas of trademark, patent, copyright, and computer law. 
He's advised clients on the right of publicity involving models used for video games. He's litigated the use of trademarks as domain names and successfully defended a record company that purchased copyrights to music against claims of copyright infringement, reverse passing off and fraud made by the original artist. He's also a leader of the firm's intellectual property practice group. So welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, David Levitt. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. We're glad to have both of you with us today. Uh, let's start off uh, giving our listeners the backstory of this case. Carol, I imagine you probably have a good background given your location right next door. Well, I've been following it since it was first, uh, the complaint was filed, I believe, back in 2007. Um, and for those who uh, don't know the backstory, it began with a, uh, a company called Tomorrow Now, as, as Craig said, a software maintenance company that provided, that was a vendor to PeopleSoft and provided customer support to PeopleSoft uh, licensees when they purchased an extended service contract. So when the service contract with uh, PeopleSoft expired, they had additional service provided by this vendor, Tomorrow Now. Um, Tomorrow Now, in that relationship, developed its own, as I understand it, its own technology of being able to access the PeopleSoft um, software to determine bugs. Uh, They had an ability to quickly go in and capture and scrape um, the the source code um, and continue that practice when, as we all know now, Oracle purchased PeopleSoft. Tomorrow Now was subsequently acquired by SAP. And that kind of set the stage with PeopleSoft copyrighted software being assigned in the acquisition over to Oracle and Tomorrow Now having direct information about that software and the customers of that software by virtue of its relationship with PeopleSoft. So that's at the stage, um, and as Craig mentioned, uh, Tomorrow Now was acquired by SAP in 2005. Um, I tend to agree with with some of the comments in the press that uh, SAP bought a toxic vendor, um, and what they did with that kind of rolled into the allegations in the Oracle complaint that we now know. Uh, subsequently resolved itself to a $1.3 billion judgment against SAP. And David, what's the reaction to that judgment within the IP community? Well, except for the the sport of it, I'm not sure that this has much major impact. I mean, obviously, the players are significant players in the intellectual property marketplace uh, and in the legal community as well. And, of course, all of their C- the CEOs were testifying. One of them uh, went on a business trip so that he wouldn't be available to be subpoenaed. Uh, everybody has traded CEOs and employees among the various players, including HP. And so there's a lot of celebrity gossip among the intellectual property lawyer community as much as there is talk about the, the verdict itself. Of course, when you see a judgment this high, it gets the newspaper's attention and people want to talk about it. Carol, are there any novel legal issues here? I mean, it's kind of unusual that SAP came into the case admitting liability, basically saying, let's just figure out what the damages are. I think there is a very novel um, um, impact on this, but it's more about the bad behavior. Um, uh, the, 
Oracle's complaint starts off with penal code um, so that uh, they came out of this uh, situation believing that they had been not only harmed from an intellectual property point of view, but that there was actual fraud and theft involved. And I think because I've been both in in-house counsel and in private practice, I know the different roles that attorneys play, and I feel for the SAP attorneys that that there was a duty to step up um, and give the hard advice. Um, it's certainly through the evidence in the case that they were aware of tomorrow now's contact with the software and the fact that they were pretexting after Oracle purchased the copyrighted software from PeopleSoft through the acquisition. So they are aware that there was pretexting to gain access to copyrighted material, and they should have said to the executive management, the hard answer is no. And that takes a really strong position from an in-house attorney because many attorneys want to manage the bureaucratic um, you know, policies and risks in a, in a kind of equivocal manner. And, and that's generally, it's like on the one hand, if you do this, you can, you can bet there'll be risks. But in this situation, I think it was much more of a black and white view. They were aware of it, hence why they admitted liability. And they should have said the hard answer is no. And, you know, if you shoot the messenger, um, I'm sorry. There is an ethical obligation to give legal advice in a correct manner. Well, there is a, a business issue here, of course, which is when you're doing the acquisition, due diligence is required. Right. And, and, and remember what they admitted. Copyright infringement is a strict liability tort. It doesn't make a difference whether you intended to do it or not. If you, if you copied, you copied. And there, there's no innocent def- infringement defense. On a damages issue, on statutory damages, yes, but not on the liability end. Now, what they've admitted to was contributory infringement, which requires knowledge. Right. And so there is a knowledge element there. But what's interesting is that the, while that when that played out, it should have taken out a, out a lot of the evidence about the bad intent in the case, except for to the extent that it would apply to the reasonable royalty argument, which is the thing that eventually was what the verdict was based upon. And, and so it really is it's interesting how it played out. And so they eventually did, Carol, I suggest, make the hard choice. They they tried to take those issues out of the case, recognizing that they were going nowhere. But your point is well taken. If they'd done the due diligence in the first place, they never would have found themselves in the situation. Yeah, I think that they, you know, from what I understand, it's my, my understanding that the counsel at SAP were, were aware at the time of the acquisition of Tomorrow Now, of the business plan of Tomorrow Now, and their advice was probably more equivocal. Instead of saying, um, this is copyright infringement, and it should stop. Um, and in managing bureaucratic politics, they said, this is infringement, and we might get away with it. And I think that kind of advice is just not strong enough. I think the duty of an in-house counsel has to be giving the hard advice when it's required. And those are the things that play out in the trial, because right. trials, no matter what kind of trials, are always morality plays. Right. Uh, and almost sometimes, especially in front of a jury, the legal 
issues don't matter. Uh, if you don't win the opening statement, oftentimes you don't win the case because you have to demonstrate that you are on the moral up and up. And that, and even when you're just arguing damages, it becomes harder to do that when you've already had to admit contributory infringement and you've had the kind of uh, facts that, that we've talked about. Well, the demands from Oracle were $3 billion, and SAP said, well, we really only owe you somewhere between 28 and $41 million. So was this a win from for SAP from the standpoint that they didn't have to pay Oracle's $3 billion demand, or was it more of a loss? I think it's definitely a loss. I mean, of course, there's still remitted or in post-trial motions and everything else that's going to happen. Uh, the difference between I think you have to give full marks, uh, full credit to to uh, Oracle's counsel in this case and the arguments they made to suggest that someone who really didn't sustain very much damage in the scheme of things, $40 million in relative terms, uh, should be able to get $1.3 billion is quite a remarkable feat. I agree. It's, and, it's, and, it's a surprising number based upon the amount of activity, and I think it's a reflection of the jury's um, intent to to provide punitive damages. Even though punitive damages weren't technically in the case, that's correct, yeah. because what yeah. they're doing is looking at a reasonable royalty. And, and that's an interesting subpart, because... How do you determine a reasonable royalty in a case like this? I didn't have a chance to read or see the expert, Oracle's expert's testimony and how he calculated those numbers. But it sounds like they're talking about an exclusive license here. And there's no way that any hypothetical license would consider exclusivity in this case. So the numbers strikes me as very odd. And the jury came to that number because of the morality play part of it. Mm-hmm. What's the issue with the exclusive license, David? Well, if if one is going to let others use this third party, so, this software to service third parties, it's not like SAP or Tomorrow Now was going to be the only one who could do it. They were going if, if they were going to license it at all in a hypothetical situation, which is what we're talking about here, then it would have been to more than one entity. They weren't going to let one person tie it all up. Well, the price for a non-exclusive license is much less than an exclusive license. And so it sounds like the way this was priced in front of the jury was as if Tomorrow Now or SAP was going to be the only vendor who was allowed to use the software. I can't imagine any other way they could have come up with this number. And that doesn't make sense under the fact pattern. Is this more of a competitive lawsuit for trying to do some damage to SAP? Or what's Oracle trying to do ultimately by filing this lawsuit against SAP? Was it a straight damages issue or were they trying to send a message? It sounds like a message to me. <laughs> it sounds like a message to me as well. I mean, if you if you read the first sentence of the complaint, they come out with uh, with fury. They say this case is about corporate theft on a grand scale committed by the largest German software company known as SAP. Um, that's a message. And aside from the, the the lawyer speak part of that, I mean, the lawyers are trying to set the case. I mean, remember who the players are. Aside from the fact that they're competitors, each of the people have been changing companies among each other, and there's a lot of personal and corporate dislike from what I'm reading in the press. I don't know any of them personally, but certainly the story of that you know in the press about uh, about uh, Leo, uh, I always get it, ap- ap- apothecary traveling so he wouldn't be able to be subpoenaed, 
and he's from formerly at HP, and HP's CEO is now a former CEO is now at is now at Oracle, and all the press that went on about that having nothing to do with this lawsuit plays into the nature of this particular case. I mean, when when Apple sues HTC for patent infringement and HTC sues back and all all the things we see uh, on the patent end of it, they're trying to send messages too. But those they're not looking for. The, the end game in those cases is not always a big verdict. This case, because of the personalities, I think the end game was a big verdict. Yeah. Uh, well, so the, the backstory I think about the uh, the transfer of personnel from company to company is intertwined in the facts in this case. In that, I was reading the deposition transcript of the, one of the attorneys um, that. SAP hired that was once an attorney at PeopleSoft, and he was responsible for the agreements with Tomorrow Now. And um, the deposition transcript read that he advised his client that it was their belief the licensee, the customer, had the authority to give Tomorrow Now the right to go in and download the copyrighted software. But anybody that understands copyright law and probably the actual language of the um, maintenance agreement would say that the licensee doesn't have the right to reverse engineer, decompile uh, the um, source code, the, the actual software. You can have the right to use it, but you don't have the right to decompile, reverse engineer, and, and manipulate it. And that's so that advice was pretty shocking. I think there was a standard of care that needed to be provided in in giving the intellectual property advice to SAP that was that was lacking. Actually, there's an entire area of copyright law that's implicated that's not implicated by the trial itself, but implicated by the situation, uh, which is what about a secondary market for maintenance services. Is there, and it's not just involved in copyright and computer law. It comes up in all sorts of things. It involves uh, getting your ink for your for your printer. Uh, take your pick your business. And in the in this industry, this particular industry, the maintenance fees, the support fees, are very substantial compared to the cost of the software itself. Okay. And so the business model. Of a lot of companies is to try and lock that up. That aside from the reverse engineering pieces, which you're absolutely right about, and which because they want to protect the copyright itself, the idea of trying to restrict the marketplace for people like Tomorrow Now, uh, whether they did it wrong or right, without regard to that, for to allow not allow people to service the software without a license from them is an interesting sub part of this case that actually wasn't tried in the case. No, it wasn't. Yeah, it was not. But that is the, you know, I was having a conversation with the former counsel of PeopleSoft, Ann Jordan, and she was telling me that when Tomorrow Now was their vendor, that PeopleSoft had a concern about that company and uh, had fears for SAP, basically. So it, I think the $1.3 billion judgment is a reflection of corporate ethics. What is this going to do um, to SAP? Can they withstand this kind of judgment? Is the company going to suffer from it, or is it going to be just a bump in the road and they'll move on? 
from everything I've read, it's a bump in the road. I mean, sure. and they're big enough. Uh, they have, from what I, something I've seen, they have 10 to, 10 to $15 billion in revenue per year. And besides which, this judgment is not nearly over. I mean, it's a ver- jury verdict. Post-trial motions, appeals, it will be, well, although just the post-judgment interest on it will be interestingly uh, growing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I, I expect a remitter to be uh, seriously considered by a court in any event. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with uh, David that remitter is is probably going to reduce it. Now, how much I don't know. And you know, these are these are big conglomerate global organizations that can handle a one point three or a one billion dollar um, judgment. Um, but uh, you know, to to look at the rights of intellectual property and say we're a good corporate citizen, we don't infringe, we don't steal. Um, that's the damage to the reputation that has to take time to heal. Well, it's time for us to take a short break. When we return, we'll talk more with attorneys Carol Smith and David Levitt. Has the recent economic climate affected the financial goals of your firm? Get back on track with help from SunTrust. Our private wealth management legal specialty group works solely with lawyers and their firms to deliver unique solutions designed for the legal community. SunTrust advisors give you sound guidance on everything from maximizing cash flow and waiting through benefits planning to understanding how to retain attorneys and staff. Learn more at www.suntrust.com legal. SunTrust. Live solid. Bank solid. SunTrust Bank. Member FDIC. Hi, my name is Kay Kenny from Legal Talk Network, and I'm joined by Jack Newton, president of Clio. Jack is going to talk to us about the benefits of cloud computing. Now, what do you think the single biggest benefit to cloud computing is? In talking to our customers recently uh, about that very question, I was surprised with what came back with as, as a really resounding response, and that was that it's the convenience and the freedom that cloud computing affords them the ability to get their work done from anywhere whether it's at their office at the courthouse at home or even if they're on vacation they're able to get their work done where and when they need to get it done Uh, the mobile aspect of things is also increasingly important with cloud-based software you can access your data and software from your iphone or your ipad uh, your blackberry uh, and other mobile devices so for the uh, lawyers that are on the move which is an increasing Uh, proportion of lawyers, that's a a really key benefit as well. We've been talking to Jack Newton, president of Clio. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you. And if anyone wants additional information on Clio, they can feel free to visit www.goclio.com. That's G-O-C-L-I-O.com. Thanks for tuning into our program today. We want to let you know about something extraordinary happening in the legal industry. Right now, hundreds of independent attorneys just like yourself are working to bring a very special product to market. These attorneys are part of a development program at LexisNexis, and they are working under NDA on a brand new application that will change the way you run your practice. This solution, LexisNexis Firm Manager, is a web-based, highly secure application operating in SAS-70 Type 2 attested data centers. If you are interested in test driving LexisNexis Firm Manager at no charge, or to learn more, visit www.myfirmmanager.com slash LTN. 
Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. This is Bob Ambrogi, and uh, I'm joined now by Carol Smith from Herring Smith uh, out of San Rafael, California, and David Levitt, a partner at the law firm of Hinshaw and Culbertson out of Chicago, Illinois. We're talking about the Oracle versus SAP verdict. Well, Oracle is also suing another company, Rimini Street, which is also a third-party support provider, claiming massive theft of Oracle software. Do we expect this verdict to be sending shivers down the backs of Rimini Street lawyers and the company? Well, that, in fact, it kind of goes to what I talked about, exclusive versus non-exclusive license again. Certainly, the news reports say that Rimini Street is saying, uh, we're going to fight this. There is an issue, of course, that involved in that case that's not involved in the SAP case, which is they're, they're fighting liability. They're saying that they have a right to do this, and they're making claims that uh, Oracle is misusing its copyright. And that is an interesting sub-piece, which never came up in the SAP case, uh, which I kind of fronted a little bit before. That is, do they have the right to stifle competition in this way and to, and to prevent third parties from servicing uh, the software, and the answer may be yes. By the way, but that's an, that's where the issue is going to be addressed. I I um I think that the facts in Rimini will be will be def, will be different, and that um um I'm not sure the future bill, billion dollar verdict should be the the standard going forward. And and this misuse of copyright is an interesting play, but it rarely works. I don't know about you, David, but I, I have not seen courts say that uh, that parties have used their their rights under the copyright registration as a misuse when they say they restrict the um, third parties from manipulating the the copyrighted material. Well, it, it depends on how far they go with it. And 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 for example, uh, and and this is really a little bit off point, but I'm going to give you as an example anyway, because sometimes the companies argue that. Merely making a copy of it in your in, on your machine that's reading the software so that you can de- determine what the errors are counts as an infringement. Uh, you may remember a, lo- well, a while back now. I, I remember it because my kids had one on the, we, in the old Nintendo systems, uh, and they had a Game Genie so they could get infinite number of lives and all that sort of thing. And Game Genie was sued by Nintendo for copyright infringement, and the court ruled that it was a fair use and that and Game Genie was not an infringer because they weren't, in fact, copying the software. I don't know what Remini Street is actually doing. and They're certainly like unlikely to be the kind of, as you've pointed out, Carol, the uh, bad faith conduct that appeared to be the case in the Tomorrow Now SAP situation. But there is an interesting legal issue for, for copyright lawyers as to whether or not being able to get access to the software, not to re- not to reverse engineer it, not to do all those things, just downloading it to read it without a license so that you can service it counts as a copyright infringement. It, it, the entire third-party uh, service industry, secondary market, so to speak, will be looking at this case. Mm-hmm. I, I believe that, that's true. Because, and then, of course, servicing, um, the scope of servicing is probably what Oracle is pointing to with Rimini is that the, the conduct is a use of their copyrighted material that requires a license, or is it merely using the um, the technology to service um, what is 
what is provided to the licensee that they would be able to do themselves. Carolyn, David, what's really going on here? Is Oracle, our Oracle and SAP attempting to get into the third-party provider business? Or are they content with their main business, which is building software for major companies? Well, I, as David said, the, it's the service contracts that, that, much like the ink cartridges to the printers, that uh, that carry on the continued revenue stream. And I, I don't have insight on what Oracle and SAP do with their maintenance contracts, but I would imagine that's exact, you know, I would imagine that is part of their business model. I would say they're trying to prevent third parties from entering the marketplace. And that's why this loose, that's one of the messages of the Oracle versus SAP lawsuit, but it's more the message of the Rimini Street lawsuit. This is allegedly one of the largest, if not the largest, jury verdict award in a copyright infringement case. I think that's right, yeah. I think it's the largest intellectual property, except for the Microsoft uh, one that came down a little while ago as well. I think this is the second largest in history in intellectual property law altogether. Carol, what do you know from closing arguments? What was Oracle's pitch to the jury about getting this damages award? Were they saying you need to send a message and this is terrible? What were they trying to do? Well, I'm sorry, I don't have I don't have the closing argument uh, information. Um, I have more of the backstory of uh, the fight and the parties. Um, so I don't know how they got the 1.3. Um, but reading the pleadings, I can see that their the tactics by Oracle's attorneys were were to continuously press that this was theft and bad faith and intentional, and um, that the not only the executives, but the senior executives were aware of it and allowed it to continue. Now, my understanding is that a lot of that evidence was not allowed in a trial. I, I haven't read the whole trial transcript or any of it, but I, but it was probably not allowed in once they admitted liability and the issue was damages. But to some extent, it still would play out because if you're arguing a reasonable royalty measure, which is what they did, and Mr. Ellison testified that he thought a reasonable royalty was $4 billion, $4 billion if I remember reading correctly what I've seen. And their argument was that SAP itself thought this was valuable, and they took all these steps because they thought it had value. So in a, in a reasonable royalty hypothetical license situation, where you're trying to ask the jury to measure what that royalty should be, that kind of bad faith evidence still plays out, but not as quite as directly as, as you might think, more on the long lines of this is how much they themselves valued it at. You should consider that in entering your verdict. But I do think they asked for punitive damages, um, not just under uh, their claims of copyright infringement, but under, under uh, I think it was intentional interference with contractual. One of the, one of the claims... They thought punitive, so um, right. But my, my understanding was that had been settled for payment of, att of attorney's fees before the trial, so it, okay. it probably was not still at issue during the trial itself. Because I've read that uh, that they agreed that SAP agreed to pay 120 million dollars in attorney's fees on top of all this in return for dropping of the punitive damages claim. Why wasn't this case settled out of court? Was it such a rivalry between Oracle and SAP that? That wasn't possible, or were they just so far apart in damages, three billion to some millions of dollars? I think it's probably a combination of both. 
I, that's, you know, good point. I, that was what I was saying all along. Why isn't this case settling? This case was ripe for, settle, for settling from the very beginning on it, you know, and usually cases go to trial based upon the characters of the parties, um, and they wanted to, this, you know, this was the big conglomerates going after each other. Generally speaking, when I'm a plaintiff in an intellectual property case and the other side offers me 100% of their profit plus all of my attorney's fees, it's hard for me to tell a client that I can do much better than that at trial. Occasionally you can, but that would be rare. This may be one of those rare occasions. On this occasion, when that is apparently what SAP offered right from the as soon as it admitted liability, we will pay you all our profits, $40 million is what they, their expert testified to, and we'll pay you all of your attorney's fees. We'll make you whole. We'll do everything we can. And that was not good enough for Oracle. They wanted the pound of flesh, and that's what they were able to get. David and Carol, we've reached the end of our program. It's time to get your final thoughts and contact information should our listeners want to reach out to you after the program. One of the questions I'd like you to think about in your final thoughts is, why file this in the United States? Why not file in Germany? Did they think they'd get a better verdict here than they would in Germany? David, let's get your final thoughts. and Well, in terms of international, uh, the American courts are the place to sue. Uh, other jurisdictions don't have juries. I, I don't, I don't, I never had a case in Germany, so I can't say specifically, uh, but other jurisdictions don't have juries. Uh, most of the damage was done here in the U.S. All, all the customers who moved over were U.S. entities. The players are all U.S. people. It was, uh, and, and that's where the sexiness is. And plus, you know, you're in California, in a California jury. And, uh, my wife being from California, used to be a liberal person before she married me, so she's conservative. <laughs> I think the um, the German jurisdiction, would pro- the, the venue issue would have been difficult, as David said, that tomorrow now, PeopleSoft, Oracle, we're all in the U.S. The injury occurred in the U.S. And um, my understanding of German litigation is they don't have the discovery um, fact uh, discovery process that we do in the United States. Uh, so for Oracle, the U.S. was the best place to bring it. Great. And David, can we get your contact information for our listeners? Sure. Uh, David Levitt. Uh, I'm at Hinshaw and Culbertson. My email is dlevitt at hinshawlaw.com. Thank you, David. And Carol? Sure. My name is Carol Smith. I'm a partner at Hiring Smith LLP. We're located in San Rafael, California. And you can reach me at carol at hiringsmith.com. And that's H-I-A-R-I-N-G-S-M-I-T-H. Good. Thank you very much. Well, that wraps it up for this week's Lawyer to Lawyer. And remember, for our listeners, you can get all of our Lawyer to Lawyer shows on LegalTalkNetwork.com. I'd like to thank all of our guests for being with us today. You can find all of our Legal Talk Network shows on iTunes as well and uh, get CLE credit through the West Legal Ed Center for listening to select Legal Talk Network podcasts. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and click on the West Legal Ed Center icon there. We'll be back again next week to discuss another great topic. When you want legal, think lawyer to lawyer. We'll see you then. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, 
representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. Every week, a new legal topic that you won't want to miss. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Gee Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.